0: Welcome to the Taste and See podcast, a place where we can discuss our experiences in the kingdom of God and discover how we can impact the world around us, thereby being the salt and light of the earth. Here's your host, Josh Emmerich. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Taste and See podcast. I am so glad that you are able to join me today. The Taste and See podcast, if you're new, is a kingdom-based podcast that exists to encourage saints, empower believers, and reach the lost with the goodness of God. Psalm 34.8 states, Taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste is to experience, while to see is all about perception and discernment. It is my prayer that as we experience the kingdom of God together, that the Holy Spirit would meet you wherever you are, and that your perspective of the world around you would change. May we have a heart that pursues and echoes the heart of the Father. It is my hope that as we explore different aspects of our life, whether it be marriage or finances or your own spiritual journey, that we would be able to approach life with a renewed and fresh outlook and perspective from the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God. We have a great episode lined up for you this week. Today we're going to be talking about Heavenly Rain, what it looks like, and how it applies to our daily walk with God. But before we get started, I just wanted to take a brief yet important moment to recognize the couple of leaders who have meant so much to me in my own journey of discipleship this year. As some of you may know, this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. It is a time to celebrate and appreciate the spiritual leaders who pour themselves out for us on a daily or a weekly basis. So if you haven't yet, be sure to reach out to your pastors and tell them how much they mean to you. My wife, Cindy, and I have had the privilege and blessing of attending Church of God, Sarasota for the past year. We had walked into this young church with a long history, not sure what God had in store for us in this next chapter of our lives and ministry. From the moment we set foot inside this church, we have felt like family. In fact, I have never seen my wife as excited about church and serving as she is right now. I could go on and on about how God has moved in our lives this past year through Church of God, Sarasota, but I want to recognize our lead pastors, Eric and Marcia Reader, Pastor Eric and Pastor Marcia, thank you for leading and loving us so well. Thank you for shepherding us and encouraging us each step along the way. Thank you for believing in my call to ministry and giving me the opportunities to lead while serving. Thank you for pouring into my marriage and spurring us on to walk boldly in the purpose God has for us. And thank you for giving away ministry and time to develop me into the man God has destined me to be. I love you both so very much, and I am honored to serve under your influence, impact, and leadership. Also, I want to give a shout out to the other pastors on our staff. Tina, Paige, and Laura, thank you for your friendship leadership, and the opportunity to serve, lead, and love alongside you. The Sarasota community is a better place because of you. You are loved. This week, when I was praying about what to talk about with you today, God kept echoing the song, Rain Down, by Shane and Shane to me. In the song, the duo sings to God, Rain is falling in his presence on our thirsty hearts. Rain down upon us. Rain down upon us. We need you. We need you. Rain down. If me not being able to shake these lyrics out of my heart wasn't enough, one of our lead pastors preached on the very subject of rain this past weekend. If that is not a sacred echo and a confirmation of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. So we are talking today about heavenly rain, or as it can also be described, rain from heaven. We see rain mentioned all throughout Scripture. However, this word can have different meanings. The first meaning is the physical rain that we witness through weather. Moisture builds up in the sky, clouds form, and precipitation falls to the earth. God warned Noah in the book of Genesis that a flood was to come, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, flooding the entirety of the earth. But this isn't the kind of rain I want to explore today. Let's read Isaiah 45.8 together. Here we see God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Here we see an interesting image of rain. In fact, we see rain as a shower of two things. Righteousness and salvation we can observe several things here. First, righteousness and salvation are not mutually exclusive. We cannot expect righteousness without salvation. God created them both, and he provides both. Second, the righteous and gracious acts of God are so many, only a shower could bring them to us. And third, as God rains down upon us with his righteousness, we, his creation, are to open up, to bring forth fruit and thereby walk in redemption through his grace, love, and provision. Let me repeat that, by his provision. Could this shower be illustrative of something God has provided us, perhaps a gift? In John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about where he's going and how he will soon be going to the Father. Then Philip asked Jesus, Show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. Jesus responds to Philip in a powerful declaration. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, God incarnate, the image of God made flesh, is the way to the Father. He is the physical example of the Father's heart. Then, Jesus reveals a gift to us. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Advocate, who will never leave you he is the holy spirit who leads into all truth the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you here we see the world being blessed with knowing the heart of the father through the person and ministry of jesus christ and we you and me have access to the gift of knowing his heart through the Holy Spirit. So, could the rain that so many prophets envision falling from heaven upon God's people be the Holy Spirit? I believe it is. The very revelation of Isaiah's cry to rend the heavens and come down was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the rain of fire fell upon that group of believers in Jerusalem. It was the prophet Ezekiel who described this moment best. I, God, will not hide my face from them any longer, for I have poured out my spirit. Solomon states in Proverbs 16.15, In the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud with the spring rain. Rain, as we see, is a biblical metaphor for the move of the Holy Spirit, thus the term outpouring. And it is through this outpouring of his spirit that we encounter the face in favor of God. So, if Holy Spirit reign causes us to encounter God on a deeper level, shouldn't we cry out for it? Absolutely. But we must be mindful of what we are asking for. Larry Sparks says, It's not about asking God to send down more of the Holy Spirit. We are asking God to help us live our lives in such a way that the Spirit is granted permission to be released through us in a greater demonstration. It's not about more of God coming down from heaven. It's about more of God coming out of his people and being visibly manifested in the earth. My friends, God is already present. And if you have received the Holy Spirit, he is present as well. The communion of God, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell within you through the person and presence of the Spirit. And that Spirit stands ready to guide and commune with you. So, as we stand and position ourselves toward heaven and cry out, rain down upon us, it isn't asking for more of God within ourselves, although we can desire to go deeper with him. It is asking him to make his presence and influence even greater in the world around us. Now that we have an understanding of what heavenly rain, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is, let's explore some of the ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself in our lives as he pours down on us. First, there is righteous rain. We already talked about the righteousness of God showering upon us in Isaiah 45. However, our friend Keith Spencer reminded us during our conversation last week that righteousness is actually translated to justice in the original biblical languages. Therefore, we can see that God provides salvation resulting in justice for his people. We must seek the Lord's righteousness as he works against injustice and unrighteousness in our world. God is a just and righteous God who desires to save his creation. If the Spirit within you doesn't resonate the same, it's not from God. You see, my friends, the Holy Spirit humbles and reminds us of who we are in light of who God is, broken yet redeemed, once in bondage but now free, once lost but now found with purpose. Ask him for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to see justice and salvation revealed to all the ends of the earth, even the people you don't like. May our hearts echo the prophet Hosea, who proclaims in Hosea 10:12, Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Second, there is revelatory rain. The Holy Spirit reveals not only the heart of God to us, but reveals you to yourself as well. This rain of truth brings freedom and deliverance. God's word will not return void. It will accomplish its purpose in our life. Isaiah 55, 10-11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return it without watering the earth and making it blood and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Let me repeat that. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire And achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Friends, if God said it, believe it. If God said it, it is done. His word doesn't provide emptiness, but fullness. It provides fullness, and His will is magnified in your life. He is the God of the promise, and He has a 100% track record. Third, we see the reign of provision. Jehovah-Jireh, God our provider, comes through when we least expect it and even when we don't believe for it. King David reflects on the grumbling and disobedience of the Israelites in the wilderness in Psalm 78, 24-29, yet God still provided for them. Check out what happened. It was clear they didn't believe God, had no intention of trusting in his help, but God helped them anyway, He commanded the clouds and gave orders that opened the gates of heaven. He rained down showers of manna to eat. He gave them the bread of heaven. They ate the bread of the mighty angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let the east wind break loose from the skies. He gave a strong push to the south wind. This time it was birds that rained down, succulent birds, an abundance of birds. He aimed them right for the center of their camp. All around their tents there were birds. They ate and had their fill. He handed them everything they craved on a platter. Even when we don't deserve it, God provides. Even when we don't feel him or see him, he provides. I remember several years ago when I was pastoring a small church that finances got really tight. I honestly felt like I was burning the candle at both ends just to make ends meet. I didn't have a reliable car at the time, so I was trying to save up as much as I could to buy a better one. I remember leading youth group messages on Wednesdays and grumbling to God about my needs on Thursdays. I remember leading worship to God boldly on Sundays and doubting his presence on Mondays. That's real, and I am sure some of you can relate. I remember walking downtown during that time and seeing a homeless man sitting alongside a restaurant that served the best burgers in town. As I made my way to the door of the restaurant, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to turn around. Engage that man and invite him in for a meal. Begrudgingly, I did just that. After all, I felt I didn't have the time or the money to bless someone else, but I did it anyway. Over the course of the next hour, I leaned in and heard this man's story as he shared it with me. And eventually, his story of pain and darkness was replaced with a story of healing and hope as he accepted Jesus right there at that table. In that moment, His life was changed for eternity. My life changed too. Instead of grumbling for the things I didn't have, I started to praise God for the just enough he had provided me with and the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who had nothing, but now had everything. The very next week, a lady from my church approached me after service. She informed me that her grandson had just graduated from college and his parents had bought him a brand new car to celebrate. Recalling from a prior conversation that I was needing a more reliable car, she asked if her family could bless me and handed me the key to a newer and more reliable car. My pastor says it best. It is the moments when it seems that God is quiet, that he is working the most. So lean in, reach your arms wide to heaven, and receive the Lord's provision. May our lives echo the words of Paul and hold firm to the truth that God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Provision is to glorify him, not ourselves. May we be stewards of our provision to lift the name of Jesus even higher and make the presence of God known even more. Fourth, we are showered with a rain of adoration. In other words, a loving and affirming rain. In Romans 5, 1-5, the Apostle Paul reminds us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. Even in the midst of trials and tribulations, hardships and valleys, God is right there, right by our side, pouring out and showering his love upon us. What a good shepherd! I remember God meeting me in a tight bedroom closet, grieving and crying out in pain after my first marriage started to crumble. I felt defeated, worthless, and sinking with no life preserver in sight. I had my iPod playing, and all I can remember is the faint whisper of God speaking to me in a warm embrace when the song, You Are My King, Amazing Love, started to play. It was then that I remembered that regardless of my situation, God was there. Regardless of my failed marriage, he delighted in me. I think Mac Brock says it best in his song, I Am Loved. Close your eyes, if you can, and just listen to the truth in these lyrics. So unreserved, your heart for me. My fear is gone, I am set free. There's nothing to hide, there's nothing to measure, because I am your child, and that's all that matters. There is no disappointment in your eyes, there is no shame, there is only pride. I am loved. Father, I'm loved by you. Just as God provides to open doors for us to provide to others, He lavishly loves us with an abundance that empowers us to show His love to others. Jesus Himself demonstrated this during His time on earth. He called a taxpayer, He dined with sinners, He saved a prostitute, and He even raised up a man who denied Him three times when it mattered most to be the first leader of his church. Jesus was in the business of loving others, even those on the fringes of society and even those who hurt him. Jesus even talked about love in the biggest sermon of his life in Matthew 5. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. When was the last time you loved an enemy? When was the last time you loved that person who cut you off on the freeway on the way home from work? When was the last time you prayed for someone who hurt you? Besides loving those who hate and persecute you, I think one of the biggest takeaways from Jesus' teaching is this. We are to be perfect. Not perfect by the world's standards, but perfect by God's standard of love. Lean in. Press in. Receive the outpouring of the Spirit and God's love and watch as he perfects you into the man or woman he has destined you to be, to know his love and make it known. Friends, his banner over you is love, and he wants to share it. Fifth, we sometimes experience a reign of intercession. There are moments that the Holy Spirit magnifies his presence, and we find ourselves in an attitude of prayer. I remember when my younger sister was in the hospital and We didn't know if she was going to make it. I remember sitting in the parking lot of that hospital in my car when the Spirit of God flooded my car with His presence, and I found myself entering into a time of wailing and crying out to God, just asking Him to intervene and heal my sister. While the pain I felt for my sister was unfathomable, the peace I felt talking to my Heavenly Father was even greater. It was in that moment of intercessory prayer standing in the gap for my sister while petitioning to God that God moved heaven and earth to not only heal my sister of her fear and sorrow, but also to bring me to an intimacy with him I had never experienced before. Dutch Sheets, by far my favorite writer on the subject of prayer, states, Our attentiveness to the Father is equally as important as the Father's attentiveness to us. Just as much as prayer drives us to intimacy with him, It should also drive us to his heart and his desire for us and the world around us. Our prayers are more than just a petition to God. I believe that they have the ability to release supernatural amounts of God's power to accomplish his will. One of my favorite stories in the Bible reveals this truth. In fact, James, one of the early church leaders, mentions this story as well when he addressed the church in Jerusalem about prayer. Are any of you suffering hardships? Has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. James states that the honest and aimed prayer of a righteous person releases the power of God and produces his wonderful results. And my man Elijah. Did just that. In 1 Kings 16, we are introduced to King Ahab. Now, Ahab was a Samaritan king who ruled over Israel, who did more evil in the eyes of God than any other king before him. He was evil, pure evil, and his wife Jezebel was even worse. During his reign, Ahab built an altar to Baal, a pagan god of fertility, weather, and rain, and required the people of Israel to worship him, which they did. God took notice of this, and through his prophet Elijah, caused a drought to happen in all the land that lasted three years. Let's fast forward three years. It is very dry in the land, and water is impossible to find unless you saved it and stored it up. The people are desperate for just a single drop of rain. Let's pick up in 1 Kings 18. This is a long story, but so powerful. So keep along with me. Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once, when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden one hundred of them in two caves. He put fifty prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, We must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my lord Elijah? he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you, and each time he was told, Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master, Elijah is here? But as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid one hundred of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here? Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bowls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself, or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was still no sound no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And then when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishan Valley and killed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming so Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. If that story doesn't want to make you jump out of your seat and celebrate the power of God, you may need to read it a second time. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Here we see two aspects of the watchman, someone who keeps watch and partners with the Lord through prayer. We see the worshiper and the warrior. Here we see the interceder who is in awe of who God is and worships him. And we also see the soldier who is filled with the Spirit and wars on the Lord's behalf. A good soldier is well-informed regarding his enemy. As Dutch Sheet says, Be infatuated with and in awe of Jesus. Be aware of the enemy. Love worship, not warfare. But when necessary, go to war. And post the sentries. Jesus said, With just a little bit of faith, you could say to this mountain, move and it will move. Come on, somebody. That's cause for celebration. Why aren't our prayers bigger, deeper, and wider? Let's partner with the Father and move heaven and earth for ourselves and others. I hope and pray that this conversation on Holy Spirit reign was not just eye-opening for you, but encouraging as well. It is my prayer that as you open yourself up to receive an abundance of the Holy Spirit, whether it be in righteousness, revelation, provision, adoration, or prayer, that you would find yourself experiencing a deeper hunger and desire for his presence. The kingdom of God doesn't just consist of God alone. While everything we do in the kingdom circles around the worship and adoration of him, God desires community. He created you for a relationship with him. He created you for relationships with others. He created you for fellowship with his Spirit. So look to heaven with expectant hearts and come ready to receive. Watch the floodgates of heaven open wide, and as you look to his Spirit, boldly proclaim, rain down upon us. We need you. Thank you for listening to the Taste and See podcast. We hope that you were encouraged and empowered by our conversation today. For future and past episodes, please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Now go, live for the kingdom, and always remember that the Lord is good.